Hey guys, Pastor Michael here, offering you a bonus podcast. If you were in church on Sunday, you would have heard my sermon, Water to Wine, Part 2, as I looked at John Chapter 2 and the story of Jesus and his miracle at the wedding of Cana, turning water into wine. And I promised at that in that message that I was going to offer you a bonus podcast to um, just go a little bit deeper on the question about wine and alcohol and and really, should a Christian drink alcohol? Is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol? What does the Bible have to say? You'll know that I talked very favorably about wine in my sermon on Sunday, but there are times when the Bible does caution us against the use of alcohol. So, can a Christian drink alcohol, or should a Christian drink alcohol? There's an old German proverb that says, to drink is to pray, to binge drink is to sin. I think that probably summarizes in the shortest possible way a healthy biblical view of alcohol. To drink is to pray, to pray, but to binge drink is to sin. It's like there's two sides of the coin. The scriptures have a lot to say about alcohol, wine specifically, but also occasionally it references strong drink, meaning other some other forms of alcohol, alcoholic beverages. And, scripts, and the scriptures speak very positively about it. Wine is seen throughout the Bible as a blessing from God and as a, as a symbol of God's blessing. <clears throat> but there are also many scriptures that warn us about the overconsumption of alcohol, the misuse of alcohol. Clearly, drunkenness is sin. And so we need to treat this gift from God with care and a healthy level of caution and wisdom. So we'll look at some of these scriptures shortly, but first I want to re-emphasize that the wine that's referenced throughout the Bible was not non-alcoholic wine. There are some teachers who I've heard that, that teach this, that the, that the wine that Jesus and his disciples drank had no alcohol in it. And that's just, that's just nonsense. If the wine they drink didn't contain alcohol, why would the Bible teach not to get drunk with wine? Obviously, the opportunity to get drunk with wine existed. Yes, Jesus and his disciples drank alcohol. The wine that Jesus made at the wedding feast contained alcohol. Anyone who studies the ancient Near Eastern world would would probably find it absolutely silly for you to suggest that they only drank grape juice. Grape juice was only invented in the 1800s by Welch, the guy who came up with Welch's grape grape juice. Before then, wine, of course, it always has alcohol. It's fermented. That's what it is. Um, Erdman's Bible Dictionary talks a little bit about um, how ancient wine was made, and I think this is really neat. It says, Wine was processed from the vineyards in late summer and early fall as the grapes ripened. The production took place in eight stages. One, producing a first uh, must, that's crushing the wines, uh, the grapes, sorry. Two, treading the grapes by foot in hewn stone vats. And as I mentioned on Sunday, uh, you can see in Nazareth, the village where Jesus grew up, uh, an excavated wine press where people would have in their bare feet stomped on the grapes and, and in the process of making the wine. Uh, so that was, a, that was a normal thing. Three, pressing the remaining grape skins and stalks. Four, straining the must. Five, adding water to the pressed skins to make inferior wine. Six, producing concentrated must by boiling. Seven, first fermentation, and eight, second fermentation. It also says in the Bible dictionary, painted murals from Egypt 
from Egypt depict the ancient process of treading, fermenting, and pouring wine into storage jars. Folks in the ancient world took their winemaking seriously. It was an important part of everyday life, not reserved for special occasions or for the wealthy like it is uh, often in our culture. Uh, it was so it contained alcohol that was it was fermented grape juice that was the process and it was a common part an important part of everyday life and wine was treated as a wonderful blessing it says in psalm 104 that god provides wine to gladden the heart of men and women it's 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 among god's gifts to us we see that theme reflected throughout scripture for example when isaac gives jacob his blessing it includes this phrase May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Genesis 27, verse 28. When Moses and the Israelites are in the wilderness preparing to go into the promised land, God promised them that when they went into the land, one of the signs of his blessing on them would be wine. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 13, we see this. And by the way, all the scriptures that I'm referencing today will be in the description of the podcast. So you don't have to worry about writing them down. If you want to go back and look them up, you can find them. Deuteronomy 7, 13. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain, and your wine, and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. One of the ways that God will bless you when you go into the land, Israel, is he will bless you with wine. Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 to 14, similar sentiment, same concept, going into the promised land. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give you what? The rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. God wants to bless his people with abundance and and success in their crops so that they can enjoy wine. Proverbs 3, this is not specifically about the Israelites going into the promised land, but similarly, the same idea of God's blessing of wine. Proverbs 3, verses 7 to 10, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your the first fruits of all your produce. And then what will happen if you do all those things, you obey God, you put him first in your life, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Wine is also used as part of worship in the Old Testament period. We see that there were wine offerings made in the temple. Numbers 18 verse 12 uh, talked about an offering of God, to God that included the best of the wine. What else? Wine is sometimes prescribed in Scripture as, as good for what ails you. <laughs> in, in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul uh, instructs young Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Perhaps Timothy had some sort of ongoing stomach problem, and, and, uh, and Paul suggests, why don't you try drinking a little bit of wine here and there and help settle your stomach. Um, good for what ails you. Uh, in Proverbs 31, Verse 6, give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. It's a comfort to those who are dying, a comfort to those who are quite sick, can be. Um, what else? Oh, watering down wine to reduce its quality is uh, considered a, a sy- symbolic of unrighteousness. 
in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross and your best wine mixed with water. Mixing water with wine to, to reduce its quality, that's a sign that you're, you're sinning. You're not doing what God wants you to do. Now, of course, if you mix a little water with your wine because that's how you prefer to drink your wine, that's fine. But the point here is about injustice and, and God is using it symbolically uh, here. But it's just interesting that God chooses to use wine in this way symbolically. Okay, the Bible, again, metaphorically, symbolically speaks about wine. It says in Psalm 128, One who fears the Lord will have a wife like a fruitful vine. Uh, the Song of Solomon, that beautiful poem, uh, Solomon writing about his love for his wife, it repeatedly uses wine imagery to depict that love between a man and a woman. And then, as I mentioned on Sunday, the Messianic Age prophesied in the Old Testament, looking forward to Jesus when he would come the first time and then come again the second time. It's described as a time when there will be lots of wine, lots of great wine. Some references there, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 12, Joel 2, 19, Isaiah 25, 6, and my famous is Amos, or my, my favorite, not my famous, my favorite is Amos, uh, chapter 9, verses 13 to 14, where it describes that in the future, the hills will be flowing with wine, I just love that. Jesus used wine for the Last Supper, and he says, I tell you, I will never drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I read someone who said one time that they said, see, this passage here says Jesus is a teetotaler. He's given up on drinking. He's not going to drink it again. He's a teetotaler, and we should be too. I think you've missed the point. <laughs> Jesus told us to keep drinking it. He told us, do this as often as you drink it. To continue this uh, ceremony. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper here in our church. And he says, one day we will get to sit around the table together and drink it again. Jesus isn't saying, uh, I'm not a drinker. He's saying, oh, won't it be great when we can drink together again? One day have a massive feast. The Re book of Revelation calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb. And one day we'll get to sit together and drink the best wine. I bet it will be just amazing. Um, there's a great book uh, called The Soul of Wine. Again, I referenced this in my service on Sunday. The Soul of Wine, Savoring the Goodness of God by Gisela Kreglinger, uh, who uh, is, uh, grew up on a, on a winery in Germany and is a Christian, wonderful Christian woman and author. She says wine, in the book she says, wine can help uncork a more full-bodied Christian spirituality in our midst and enrich our lives around the table. She, she argues in this book that wine is, is, is not only a gift from God for us to enjoy, but it's a way for us to connect with God, that he, he intends for us to enjoy it. And, and, and as the German proverb says, to drink is to pray. She sees it as a spiritual act, uh, which is an interesting perspective. She also says in this book, Wine reveals glimpses of God's incredible love, generosity, and benevolence toward us. God always desires to give us more than we need, even wine. We are more than survivors in this world. Our lives were never meant to be just about water and bread, but also about wine and wild-caught fish. I like how she puts that. The concept being... You know, we don't need wine to sustain our lives. We could just drink water and we'd get by just fine, wouldn't we? And yet God gives us wine 
because it's not just about survival on earth. He wants us to enjoy life here in this world. John Calvin echoes that sentiment. He says, uh, the great reformer, he says, Nature would certainly be satisfied with water to drink, and therefore the addition of wine is owing to God's superabundant liberality. See, the Christian life is not meant to be one where we completely cut ourselves off from the good things of creation. We don't become more righteous by ridding ourselves of all the delightful things that God has provided for us to enjoy. That would be kind of like your father gives you a good gift and then you say, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, You know, I I don't want to to overindulge. Uh, Yeah, but it's a gift. God has given it to you. Your father's given it to you. Enjoy it. Receive it. Be blessed. Jesus enjoyed wine. He enjoyed food. He enjoyed dinner parties. So much so that he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. That was one of his criticisms. Look at this Jesus guy. He's he's partying all the time. He's a glutton and a drunkard. God put Adam and Eve in the garden and invited them to enjoy it. God called it good, very good. So, listen, if you like a glass of wine or some other alcoholic beverage, you don't have to feel guilty about that. I had a couple people after the service on Sunday say, Oh, pastor, I feel so much better now because, you know, I like to have a glass of wine, but I always worried that I was doing something wrong. No, 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 come on. You don't have to keep it a secret if, if I'm coming over for a pastoral visit, you don't got to hide the wine, okay? Wine is a gift from God meant to be enjoyed along with good food and good music and art and beauty and sex within marriage and nature and so on. These are good things that God has given us. They're gifts. So should a Christian drink alcohol? Sure. As the proverb says, to drink is to pray. But, but... Like anything good, if it is misused, it can become a problem. If it is used outside of the boundaries which, in which God has given it to us, uh, it can become sin. Just like I said, sex within marriage, for example, right? Sex outside of marriage, not good. Sin, not, not what God wants. And, and the same thing with alcohol, with, with drinking wine. You know, use it in the way that God wants you to, wonderful. Use it outside of those boundaries, and you're venturing into dangerous territory. So, to drink is to pray, but to binge drink is to sin. Repeatedly, the scriptures call out drunkenness as sin. It goes so far as to say that drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 6.10. That's pretty strong language. And there are many warnings about uh, using caution with alcohol. For example, Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 21, 17. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. See, there's a contrast here. On one hand, God gives us these good things of life to enjoy, the pleasures of life. We shouldn't, we shouldn't run from those things. We shouldn't deny ourselves those things. And yet, if you love those things, it's like being a lover of money. Uh, idolizing these things, worshiping these things, using them in excess. Uh, that those, this is when it causes a problem. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. Like, you've got this addiction problem, right? You see, that's what it's talking about. So, though we are free to drink and enjoy it, 
There are some times when a Christian should not drink alcohol. I'm going to mention five. I think there's at least five times when a Christian should not drink alcohol. And here's what they are. Number one, when it leads you to drunkenness. This is the most obvious, right? The Bible forbids drunkenness. If it leads you to get drunk, then you shouldn't be using alcohol. Romans 13, verse 13, New Testament. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the drunk in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness, or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Like with food or anything, if we selfishly overindulge in a good thing, we've stepped outside of God's good design for that thing. We have sinned. And if you are unable to drink an alcoholic beverage without overindulging, for you, the wise choice is not to drink. Many people, especially those with a history of alcoholism in their family or a history of alcohol abuse in their own experience, should really seriously take caution around alcohol and probably avoid it altogether. Just because it's not a sin to drink alcohol per se, for you, it may be sin. It may be sin for you if it results in sin, if it, if it causes you to sin. If you know that drinking is going to cause you to become addicted or to fall off the bandwagon if you've been sober for a number of years and so on and so on. In that case, the wise choice is not to drink at all. That's the righteous choice for you. If you're in leadership, you should be extra careful about this. The Bible does reference a couple times, Old Testament and New Testament, that those in leadership should take caution. Uh, For example, in Proverbs 31, verse 4, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to desire strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Now, this is not a blanket statement that if you are a king or a ruler or a leader that you cannot drink. In in light of all that we read, the other passages that highlight wine as good, and in light of Jesus and his disciples drinking wine, Jesus, I mean, he is the king of kings, and he drank wine. So obviously it's not a blanket statement that you can that a person who's in leadership cannot drink, period. But it's a warning for those in leadership to take extra caution that alcohol does not unintentionally cloud their judgment. If you're in a position of authority, in a position of influence, you need to be extra careful that you're not getting drunk. In the New Testament, Paul makes a point to highlight that those in church leadership should take caution around alcohol. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, Deacons likewise must be serious, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for gain, and so on and so on. Not addicted to much wine. So, the first thing, first point, when a Christian should not drink alcohol is when it leads you to drunkenness. Number two, when you're using it for the wrong reasons. If you're finding yourself turning to alcohol as your source of comfort when you're upset or as a way to numb yourself from the difficulties of life or, or you're, you know, whatever, if you're using it to medicate against mental health issues or something, you're turning to the wrong thing for sport for support. Uh, you know, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait upon the Lord. Turn to the Lord. If you're struggling with life, if you're exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, whatever it may be, if you're, if you're struggling, if you're tired out, if you're burnt out, if you're worn out, turn to the Lord. Don't turn to booze. Don't go to the bottle as your source of strength. Go to the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I love that contrast between the pursuit of alcohol and the pursuit of the Holy Spirit. The full passage in Ephesians chapter 5 that I just quoted from, uh, starting in verse 15, it's, it's really good and it's really relevant to this whole discussion. It says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I knew a guy who refused to go to church with his wife and children, and instead he'd stay home and drink. What a shame. What a shame. What he was looking for in the bottle is what he was missing out on at church. That source of hope and strength and peace and joy that he needed, that life that he needed, it was to be found in Christ. And he was turning to the bottle instead. And so many people do that. So look, if you are turning to alcohol as a, as a way to medicate against the troubles of life, that is not a good reason to drink. If that's you, you shouldn't be drinking. You should be turning to the Lord. Okay, number three. When should a Christian not drink? When it could become a stumbling block. What's that mean? Well, Romans, that terminology comes from Romans chapter 14, verses 20 to 22. It says this, Don't tear apart the work of God, meaning the church and our mission, over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. The context is talking about, you know, clean and unclean foods, kosher, non-kosher, all that kind of stuff that was happening in, in the first century. Foods offered to idols and all these things that were big debates in the church, and it was becoming quite divisive. And then, and then Paul says this, It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. There's that stumbling block idea. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. In other words, we are not to act selfishly. If your freedom causes a brother or sister in Christ to be tempted and then to sin as a result of that temptation that you've put in front of them, that stumbling block, if, you're, if you put a block in front of someone and cause them to trip and fall, you have also committed a sin. You, you've also you've done something wrong. So don't assert your right to drink if it's not good for your neighbor. If you've got a friend, let's say, who's a former alcoholic and you invite them over to dinner, don't go serving them wine with their, with their meal. Don't put that temptation in front of them. Or, or maybe someone who's struggling with alcohol spots you coming out of a bar or coming out of a wild party on a Friday night. And, and they assume you've been participating in the drunkenness of that thing. You may be the designated driver, for goodness sakes, but you got to be careful about appearances. You could be a stumbling block to a new Christian or to a young Christian who now thinks, oh, gee, maybe it's okay to get plastered uh, because, hey, look, there's, uh, 
there's Deacon Joe uh, coming out of the coming out of the that party on a Friday night. So just be careful. Don't become a stumbling block for another Christian. If if your use of alcohol becomes has the potential to become a stumbling block, you've 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 also committed a sin. Okay, number four. When should a Christian not drink? When you'd be breaking the law. I mean, this goes for anybody. Don't break the law. The Bible's clear. We should obey the authorities. You're too young to drink? Don't drink. You're driving? Don't drink. So on and so on. If it's against the law, don't do it because you're supposed to obey the law. That's that's an easy one. Number five. This one's interesting. When your spouse asks you not to. If we go back to Ephesians 5, pick up right where we left off, uh, starting at verse 22. So verse 21 said to submit to one another. Verse 22 specifically now talks about wives and husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then verse 25, now the husbands, what about them? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about what all this passage means, but here's the point. Even though you have freedom on this alcohol issue, you don't have the freedom to be disrespectful towards others, and especially not towards your husband or your wife. Has your husband asked you not to drink? He doesn't drink. He doesn't want it in the home for whatever reason. Maybe he's got a a family history or something. Don't assert your freedom on this. Submit to his request out of love and choose not to drink. Has your wife, husbands, has your wife asked you not to drink? Same thing. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus loves us, like Jesus loves the church. He was willing to sacrifice literally his own life. That's how much he loves the church. And husbands, that's how you're supposed to love your wives. So be willing to sacrifice anything for her, any good thing. If it, infer- if it interferes with the most important thing, which is love. So, hey, look, you know, the Bible talks very favorably about drinking wine. It calls it a blessing. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's a great thing of life. Uh, if you can manage it you know, responsibly, it's a wonderful thing. But it's not wonderful if it interferes with the loving relationships that God has given us, because that is more important. So let's recap now. Five times a Christian should not drink alcohol. One, when it leads you to drunkenness. Two, when you're using it for the wrong reasons. Three, when it could be a stumbling block for another. Four, when doing so would be breaking the law. And number five, when your spouse asks you not to. And maybe you can think of other th- other times. Uh, that's all I could come up with, but I'm sure you, you're smart. You could think of something else. But let's not confuse these warnings with an incorrect teaching that it's always wrong for a Christian to drink. If you can drink without it leading to sin, then we ought to treat it as one of the lovely gifts that God has given us in this life to enjoy in moderation. Okay, I hope that was helpful. Uh, Share this if you think someone else would benefit from it. And I hope that you're blessed today and enjoying life as God intended it to be. Go forth in love and righteousness and pursue God above everything else. That's what it's all about. If you want more content like this, hit subscribe on your podcast app to make sure that anytime I do a podcast, you'll get it right into your device wherever you are. 
and uh, and check out check out our church emmanueltruro.org. Uh, uh, subscribe to us on YouTube and all that stuff. If you missed the message that I preached, that was the precursor to this. You can go back and find that. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening.